Love those dance moves, Pastor Rod. Yeah. All right. Hey, just to clarify, we're not, we're not actually in a difficult season financially. I, 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 uh, I know what Rod is alluding to. We have some significant ministry objectives. And that's a different story. We have some significant ministry objectives. We have some new territory that we believe God wants us to move into. And what that's going to require is that we all participate in giving here at the bridge. Next week's message will be on giving. So don't stay home. Come. You'll like it. It's going to be good. It's going to empower you. And uh, you're going to hear about God's blessing and how he works in our life through the act of giving. But we're not in a difficult place. We're actually doing fairly well financially year over year, uh, but we do need you to give because we've got some really wonderful kingdom objectives that we want to fulfill. And so um, anyway, I'll just lay that before you, and uh, I appreciate so much uh, your being attentive to that as Pastor Rod has asked you to be. So today is grow. We're doing the five G's here at the bridge. We're a 5G church. Uh, what that means is that we're a church that gathers, we group, we grow, we give, and we go. That's how we do church. That's the calling that is upon us. And I've been explaining that over the last number of weeks. I've been in a series with you called Being Us. What does it mean to be us, the bridge? And so we've been working at that. So we gather, we center our lives around God. That was week one. We group, we connect with others. That was week two. Today as we grow, we cultivate spiritual maturity. If you take the first two, we, we, we gather and we group, that's the path. The third one, grow, is the product. If we walk the path, we'll end up growing, which is the product of the discipleship path that we're on. So we're gonna talk about that today. We grow, we cultivate spiritual maturity. And then next week it's we give, we contribute something back, and then the week after that will be we go. We communicate God's love and truth to the world around us. So that's what we're in the middle of. We're glad that you're here. There's a text out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that speaks to the issue of growth. It's the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus, and he is leading them towards some disciplines and understanding related to how you get to growth. How you get to growth. And he says, we're not meant to remain as children at the mercy of every chance wind of teaching. But we are meant to hold firmly to the truth in love and to grow up in every way into Christ who is the head. If you wanna look at the product of the path, if you wanna look at what growth actually looks at, just look at the person of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, he talks about giving his whole life wholeheartedly so as to add measure to yours and my maturity and stature in Christ. Jesus is what spiritual maturity looks like. He's what spiritual functionality looks like. And so when we come together at church, when we come together in our groups, He's the objective. He is the goal. 
He is what we're moving towards. His spirit living in and through us. The fruit of who he is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. All of that just emanating out of us as we grow up in Christ. I've got some myths and some facts related to growth here. One myth is that growth is automatic. It just sort of happens in our life. The fact is, is that growth is built around a series of disciplines and choices. The myth is, is that growth can be instant. And of course, the fact is, is that it is a gradual process. The myth is, is that you can grow simply by attending church. Well, the truth is, is that you must also develop some significant habits along with going to church, which will bring about the growth that we mean to bring. And then another myth is that we can attain it by ourselves. But in truth, you cannot attain it by yourself, but you must grow with others. You must grow with others. Another myth is that it's measured by what you believe. It's measured by your belief system. Spirituality is not about your beliefs. Your beliefs have to somehow translate into behavior that is consistent with the person known as Jesus Christ. So the the fact is, is that beliefs and behavior are what speaks to the issue of growth. Another myth is how you act at church is really the measure of your growth. And of course, it's how you act at home and in the world that truly, truly reveals where you're at in your personal relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In Christ, you must know that growth is not optional. We treat it like it's optional, but growth is not optional. Even as we come to a place of putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we are called to put our faith in him through a series of disciplines that we give ourselves over to that affect the wonderful thing called growth in Jesus. So the fullness of life that Jesus promises comes to us through personal and spiritual growth. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. In other words, he heals our humanity, our brokenness. We're set free from the bondages that beset us and then we are able to move into the fullness of our human experience this side of heaven in the way in which Jesus means for us to do so. He sets us free from that which holds us back, our brokenness, our hurts, our pains, our bitterness. Jesus sets us free. But we must walk a path in order to receive the fullness that Jesus talks about in John 10 and 10. So Jesus once told the story in a Bible, in the Bible, about growth. And I'm going to go there this morning with you, and then we're going to have communion together. So the story illustrates three common growth barriers that keep us from growing spiritually. He also gave this story, in it there are three keys to growing to your full potential as well. And he says there's this farmer. There is this farmer that goes out 
and he sows seed. And in the old days, they would spread the seed by hand. They would walk between the columns where the seed was to gain root, and they would just throw and cast seed. And Jesus says there is this farmer who was throwing out seed throughout his farm. And as the farmer throws out the seed, it falls on four different kinds of soil. He says the farmer in the story represents God. And the seed represents his holy word. And the soil is yours and my attitude and receptivity to God's holy word. And so Jesus tells this story in order to challenge his disciples to reverencing the word of God, to receiving the word of God, to responding to the word of God. He says if you learn from this story, you'll learn the keys to spiritual growth. And so I wanna share some of those spiritual, uh, some of those grounds or some of those aspects of receptivity and responsiveness, and then we're gonna talk about some of the keys towards your growth. So the very first thing that we must be is we must be receptive to God. Jesus is challenging his disciples to be open to be hungry, to be thirsty for God's word. We must be receptive to God. I must want to grow, I must be eager to grow, I must be ready to grow, I must be spiritually receptive. A Couple of weeks ago I challenged you to do the work when you come to the gathering to listen. That it's not just the person who's speaking that needs to titillate or to somehow stimulate your thoughts. You must come with an open heart and an open mind. And I made a statement to you that was made to me by my pastor. He said, the pastor can be dumb as nails. Some of you are out there going, yeah, okay, I can relate to that. (laughs) The pastor can be as dumb as nails and can be incredibly scattered. But he said, you must come to church with the attitude that God has something for you even through that person. After all, we see in the Bible that God used a donkey to speak to the Israelites. So God can speak through whatever medium he chooses to speak through. But are we receptive? Are we doing the work? Are we coming eager and full of faith and anticipating God to speak to us? So, I shared that a couple of weeks ago, and the primary reason people don't grow is real obviously that they, they don't really want it, or they don't really cherish it, or they don't prioritize it. And there are hundreds and thousands of people within driving distance of here who don't show any kind of spiritual hunger or thirst whatsoever. Or at the least, what they do is they try to find their spirituality or try to find their meaning of existence through something other than Jesus or God. So Jesus says in Luke chapter eight, verse five, he says a farmer went out to plant some seed and he scattered it across the field. Some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on. And the birds came and ate it. And then in verse 12, he gives the meaning of this. He says, the hard path, the footpath, 
where some seed fell represents hard hearts. The hard hearts of those who hear the words of God, but the devil comes and steals the words away and prevents people from believing and being saved. And that word saved is sozo, which literally means from being saved not only from the position of are you getting into heaven or not, but being saved from erroneous or unhelpful thoughts. Being saved from ideologies or strongholds that hold you back. Being saved from your bitterness. Being saved from from ideas and thought constructs that, that keep you from living the optimal life that God wants for you. And so Jesus is telling this story and he's saying that God is always casting seed, but there are many who are hard-hearted. In other words, their hearts are not capable of receiving the seed. On every farm, there are footpaths that the farmer walks on as he walks through the crops. Because he walks over them over and over again, the soil gets compacted. And there are two things that are true of a footpath. One is it's very hard. Two, it's narrow. And a lot of people's minds are like that. They're hard. They've, they've not, they've not, or sorry, they've got hardening of the attitude, and they say, don't confuse me with the truth, I have my mind already made up. And when the seed gets thrown on this kind of hard-packed soil, it can't even take root because it lays on the surface and doesn't even get a chance to sprout. And Jesus says sometimes we're like this. We never give God a chance We don't even give him the opportunity to work. We don't give God the chance to answer prayer because we don't pray. We don't give God the chance to do a miracle in our lives because we move on without giving him the opportunity. We say here at the bridge that our currency in God is grace, truth, and time. We must be willing to let God do his thing over time. We don't give God a chance to grow spiritually because we're not even sure that we even believe in God in some respects. So many times we're just closed-minded. And when our minds are closed, our hearts are hard and we're unwilling to listen. Nothing's gonna grow there. There isn't going to be spiritual growth in a heart or a mind like that. And what he's saying is, is that this first kind of soil, the hardened path, represents a closed mind. A hardened soul represents a closed mind. And the question then is what causes people to close their minds to God? Why is it when someone or sometimes you bring up the issue of God, people go, wait a minute, I I don't want to talk about God. You can just see the curtain coming down, the door slamming shut, the minds shutting down. What causes us to be so defensive when people even start talking about God? Why are we that way? We can always know that it's, it's one of three reasons. Number one, the first reason we close our minds to God is because we fear him. We fear him. Obviously, if we're afraid of God, we're not going to want to get close to God. We're so personally broken and we 
feel so personally unworthy and we haven't yet understood what Jesus did on the cross and we stand before God naked, we stand before God dirty as it would relate to sin. We stand before God and we go, who, who am I so as to present myself into a relationship with God. And so literally our, our insecurities, inferiorities, and self-worth are such that we, we cannot even see ourselves in a relationship with God. I remember talking to one young man uh, from the community here. We were talking and, and uh, I invited him to church and he said, oh, no, 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 no. I, 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 no, I just couldn't come to church. And I said to him, well, why not? And he said, well, you know, Brian, I have lived a very, very ragged life. I said, I'm sorry, what what do you mean? He said, there's lots of like uh, bad things that I have done. And I said, no, no, it's okay. My church is full of people like that. (laughs) He says, no, no, if I cross the threshold and darken the door of a church, I'm gonna get struck by lightning. God will strike me dead. You see, you know what I love about his attitude? Is he's reverencing God. He's recognizing his sinfulness, and yet he's reverencing God, and he's saying, I am not worthy. And of course, not a one of us is worthy. But the good news must get us over that hump or that ideology that somehow in our humanity and through all of our brokenness, we actually deserve to be here? We actually earn the right to have a relationship with God? No way! Not a one of us has earned the right to have a relationship with God. Not one of us. We're all broken. We're all sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is what is true. And so these insecurities, we must help people get past them and we must help them see that the church is full of sinners saved by grace. And that we're simply on a path towards growth that allows us to be decent human beings in the world. That's what we're here for. So our minds are closed because of Fear. The second reason people close down to God is because of bitterness. And I find that there's three categories of bitterness. Number one, people are angry with God. I'll talk about that in a minute. People are angry with God or people are angry with a person who was supposedly a Christian who hurt them. And so the word hypocrite comes to mind. And so they will avoid church because they will say to you, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And that is, again, absolutely true. No, no, that is absolutely true. We don't always live up to what we profess. And part of our growth and maturity is that we actually grow into the very things that we believe. Our behavior is sort of like the caboose in the train. It We believe first, then we behave. And it takes us a while to connect the dots between what it is we actually believe and how it is that we're actually behaving. And we come to the gathering and we come to our groups in order to connect that dot between what we're learning to believe and how we're actually 
behaving and living out our faith. So people will sometimes be bitter and closed down because of God, something he didn't do that they thought he should have. People, the hypocrites that they are. And then uh, the last thing is church in general. People feel like churches are in it for something other than humanitarian reasons, which I can't even imagine that being true. So the second reason people are not close, or sorry, closed down to God is because of bitterness or resentment. Then there's the third block, and the third block to people as to why they, they, they refuse to be receptive to God in their life is because of pride. It's just simple pride. It, it, it's, it's you, not, I mean, you're not going to admit this, but it's just you and I to some degree and other people to a large degree just simply saying, I know better than God. I know better than God. I mean, that's what sin is. Sin is simply you saying, hey, no matter what it is that God says in his word, I know better. I know what will make me happy. He doesn't know what will make me happy. I know that if I walk this road, it will make me happy. I know God says no, but you know, he's there, I'm here. He doesn't know me. Can you, do you hear the pride in that statement? He doesn't love me. I deserve this. I'm hurting. I deserve to partake of this or this or this. I worked hard. Can't believe the church is asking me for money. I worked hard for what I have. And so out of pride, we don't connect the dots. We don't see with thankfulness, next week's Thanksgiving, by the way, hard to believe, but we don't see with thankfulness and with appreciation what God has cultivated in us. You see, true growth, true spiritual growth comes with this this openness of our minds where we see God in everything. We see him. We see him in what it is that we've received. We see him in who it is he's allowing us to walk through life with. We see him and we participate without pride. Unreceptive, hard-heartedness, closed-mindedness, it's a barren lifestyle. Nothing can grow there. Jesus said the seed gets thrown on it, it does no sprouting. The birds come along, eat it, and, and then ultimately life is for the birds, for you and I. It's a wasted life. It isn't going to work. So if you want to grow, you first have to say, God help me to be receptive. The second thing I want to say regarding this particular text and what Jesus is teaching us, he's telling us that we must be resolved to grow. We must not only be receptive, but we must be resolved. There's some, not only receptivity, but there is some responsibility. There is some work to do. So that means that I've got to make a decision. I've got to make a resolution. I've got to make some commitments. I have to accept responsibility for my spiritual growth. Jesus said, this is what the second kind of soil represents. He says in verse 6, he says, other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. 
So there was receptive soil. It was loose enough to receive the seed. But underneath that soil, there is rock. And the seed begins to grow, but soon it withers and it dies for lack of depth and for lack of moisture. What's he talking about here? Jesus is telling this story in Israel. And in Israel, most of the nation is covered by a thin layer of topsoil. And on top of that solid bedrock, there is, or sorry, underneath that solid bedrock is limestone. And it's not like good soil goes real deep there. And when it talks about the Bible, about rocky soil, it's not talking about a bunch of rocks on the ground. It's talking about the undersoil. It's talking about that thin layer of topsoil sitting on top of a bedrock of stone. And that bedrock prevents plants from growing and from flourishing. And Jesus is saying that a lot of us are like this. In verse 13, this is what he says, words of Jesus. Some people are like the seeds on rocky soil. They welcome the word with joy whenever they hear it, but they don't develop any roots. They believe for a while, but when their faith is tested, they abandon it. So what's true about plants that are not able to put down roots is that they are prone. They are, they are delicately prone to elements, to the stress of wind and weather and rain, and a, and a plant can be easily washed away with a good flood or a good wind. And Jesus is speaking to this, and of course he's leading us to this ideology of putting down deep roots, of having receptive soil, but even more than that, taking responsibility to root even deeper than the, 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 the ascent, the initial belief. He says, these people welcome the word with joy. Have you ever gotten excited when you heard a sermon or a message that really touched you? And you get all excited and you react emotionally and, 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 and you'll say to people on your way out, man, the pastor, was, he, was, he was nailing it today. He was, he was hitting a home run. Oh my goodness, he's, he's, something's going on in our pastor. Maybe a tear came to your eye. Maybe you were excited or intellectually challenged or emotionally stirred, and you got a quiver in your liver, as they say. And this is wonderful. I think that that's wonderful. I think there should be emotion related to the hearing of God's word. But you walk out the door, and we forget it. Because there is no root. There is no depth. You're thrilled, but you're not transformed. This is why we offer groups here at the bridge. Hopefully a good sermon shared leads to a good group experience throughout the week. We have what's called sermon-based life groups where we gather around the text and we talk to each other about it and what we're doing is we're breaking through the bedrock. We're addressing the hard soil. We're addressing the issue of receptivity and responsiveness and personal responsibility. And we're addressing that. And we're breaking through, we're breaking up hard ground. Sometimes we hear things and we're excited about them, but we don't do anything about them. We'll only remember, by the way, about 5% of what we heard 72 hours later. 
which is why we bring it back into the life group setting. We used to offer, by the way, sermon notes here at the bridge, and I kind of wish we would go back to that, to be honest with you. I love the fact that it's on the screen. I think that's wonderful. I love the fact that you can go to our website and you can pick up all the slides and review the slide deck. You can do that every week. There are discussion questions. Even if you're not in a group, quite frankly, you can go through the discussions questions and use that as a Bible study. For sure, you can do that. Maybe you can even study that leading into your life group. So we've got these resources. We've got these resources, but one of the things we used to have is we used to bring to you a note where you fill in the blanks. And there was something about that for our people in the fill in the blanks, where you would be listening, you'd be listening attentively, and for all those melancholic personalities out there, you would be waiting to fill in that next blank. And if I went to the next point without giving you the answer to the blank, I could see the contortion on your faces. I could just see it. But you know what? There was something about that, that when you, when you move beyond hearing and you move to actually doing something, the learning gets deeper. The learning gets deeper. Putting into practice what it is that we're learning. In Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus said, anyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So we must be resolved to grow. We must be resolved to grow. How do you make sure that you desire to grow? That commitment to grow is something that sticks? Well, number one, you put down roots. How do you do that? How do you put down roots so that the desire to grow that most of us have becomes a reality in our lives? You put down roots by making and keeping commitments. When you make a commitment and then you keep that commitment, the inevitable result is that you've developed roots. And it's through that commitment to what it is that God is sowing into your life. So you see God's word as God's word. And you see Sundays as him casting the seed. And you see life groups as him casting the seed. And you respect that. You reverence that. And you think to yourself, well, if God is going to go to all the work of sowing seed in my life, and there are hundreds of other ways that God is sowing seed into our life right now, through podcasts, through services that you can watch throughout the week, through all kinds of e-letters that are being sent to you throughout the week. God is sowing seed. The question is, are we doing the work? Are we making the commitments? And are we developing roots related to what it is that he's sowing into our lives? In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, don't only hear the message, but put it into practice. Otherwise, you're merely deluding yourself. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says, take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. I know that with this dance class that's being offered, there's going to be a devotional experience that's actually attached to it. And I know that there is this dual purpose of being spiritually and physically fit. I do like that. 
The Bible refers to us being tripartite beings. What in the world is a tripartite being? It's a theological term. And it describes the three aspects to our being, body, soul, and spirit. So we here at the bridge, we speak to body, soul, and spirit. Physical fitness is something that we think is of a high value. The soul and the condition of the soul is something that needs to be tended to. And then our spirit is something that is our connection point with God and his spirit. And we know that, that it needs to be tended to. Otherwise, we lose the resources that God is pouring into our lives. So what do we commit to? In order to put down roots, what do we commit to? Number one, we commit to each other. When you decide to spend time around other people who want to grow spiritually, you begin to become like the people you spend the most time with. If I look at my own life, I'd love to say that any spiritual growth has happened because, not that I'm so spiritually minded, but because I'm around people who love Jesus like I love Jesus. It's the number one factor to helping you grow. Like draws like. Our interest in Jesus hopefully is shared by others who have an interest in Jesus, and we begin to put down roots. We're committed to each other, and we grow. I've got a group of five other guys that I have been growing with for the last couple of years, and we are growing. And we are growing in such a way that we are becoming better stewards of our lives, better husbands, better sons and daughters, better fathers, better neighbors, better employees. We're growing. We're maturing. It's a beautiful thing. So we commit to connect with others. Then we commit to build spiritual habits ourselves. We read the word of God ourselves on a daily basis. We pray continually. We connect with God through the disciplines of prayer and reading the word. It's so easy to do that today. Log on to a Bible app, and I, I see John Sherman here. He's shared his Bible reading plan with me because I'm on the same app. And, and I see him making his way through. Lisa, you're here too. You do the same thing. I see you. I see where you're at in your reading. I'm not sure you want to know that right now, but, but I, I see you, right? And, and so it's, it's a beautiful thing, and we can make this commitment, and we can, we can actually spur each other on. Technology is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It leads us to a commitment to Scripture. Three, I commit my talents to take whatever gifts God has given me, whatever shape he has invested in me, and I share them, and it's in those places of sharing that I'm growing. I thought it was a beautiful thing. I saw the worship team here early practicing together, Pastor Darius leading them, and then I saw them all go over to the lounge, what is called the volunteer lounge, where they hang out before the service, but they don't just hang out, they pray together. I saw... Hina, Pastor Darius' wife, leading them through scriptures this morning before they ever got on stage to worship. Hearts and minds are prepared. As they come on the stage, they have been receiving already, and now they're giving. 
It's a beautiful thing. These disciplines that even our own teams implement are so important when it comes to our spiritual development. We also commit to sharing our faith with others. There's something about sharing your faith with others that spurs you on in your own faith. And then fifthly, we commit to fulfilling God's purpose in the world. God's purposes, God's principles, God's people, God's program, God's property. Our property serves the program of God. The program of God serves the people of God. The people of God serve the purposes of God in a principled way. This is what it means to be in a dynamic relationship with our holy God that has absolutely given us everything we need to not only be saved, but to continue to be saved, to continue to grow, to come out of what is broken in our lives, and to move into what is functional and helpful to the world around us. So what's your next step? It's one thing for me to talk about it, but what's your next step? Is it a class that you need to take? I had 20 people at the Discover the Bridge class yesterday. We had a great time. I love the Discover the Bridge class. We met in the commons, and I had an opportunity to share the vision of the bridge with these 20 new people. There are classes to take. There are groups to attend. There are gatherings to get to. There are seasonal groups to, to actually participate in and get unstuck in life. What's your next step? Maybe it's to download an app and begin to read through the Word of God in a year or two years or three years. There's a third step you need to take if you want to grow, and I'm going to close with this and we're going to move into communion. And number three, I must be ruthless with distractions in my life. Things that keep me from growing. I must be ruthless with distractions. Your most important objective in your life, after having given your life to Jesus, is to grow in Jesus. That's the most important objective. Your bottom line in life should not be your bank balance. That's not your bottom line. We act like it. We're very North American that way. But your bottom line has to be the measure or the stature of your spirituality in Jesus Christ. That's your bottom line. That's what matters. When it's all said and done, when you've, when you've expressed your last breath, the only thing that is actually going to matter is the residue of your spirituality, not your bank account. What legacy of love did you leave? What legacy of joy did you leave? What legacy of peace did you leave? What legacy of self-control did you leave? What legacy of gentleness did you leave? What legacy of faithfulness did you leave? This is what it means to grow in Jesus. We must be ruthless with anything that pulls us away from those measurements, from those products. 
We must be willing to, to absolutely be ruthless with our schedules, with our lives, and know that the bottom line here is that we grow to be more and more like Jesus, and the more and more we're like Jesus, the better employee we're gonna be, the better husband we're gonna be, the, the better we're gonna be managing our money and budgeting appropriately and stewarding it, making sure it goes to where it needs to go. The Bible calls these distraction weeds. Jesus says some seed fell among thorny weeds, but the weeds grew up, choked the good plants. So Jesus is literally describing a good plant, a plant that has put down roots, gotten beyond the bedrock, has put down roots, is showing some measure of fruitfulness, but life comes along in such a way that, that you're no longer responding the way you used to. You've allowed some things to overcrowd your life. And Jesus uses the word choked, choked, crowded out. This is the third barrier that keeps you from growing spiritually. And he says we need to look at the weeds in our life and we need to tend to them. There's a saying, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. And we often confuse our activity with productivity. Overcrowding is what Jesus is speaking to and we've allowed something else to sap off the energy and our joy and our vision and our vitality. And Jesus in this verse is pointing out three kinds of weeds. First, the cares of this life. The problems, the pleasures and the worries of this life. The stress of success. Two, he talks about the riches. Riches can choke your vitality. You can be so busy making money, watching your investments, you don't have time for spiritual growth. So busy making a living that you don't have a life. Three, pleasures can be a weed. You can be so busy having fun that you forget God. Sorry, I don't have time. Because you've given yourself over to a hedonistic lifestyle. What's a hedonistic lifestyle? It's a lifestyle built around the principle of I'm going to live to my greatest pleasure. That's hedonism. There's a higher purpose than pleasure. So what do you do with the weeds? You rip them out, you uproot them, you eliminate them, you get rid of them. What is it that you and I need to weed out of our lives. We need to be ruthless with distractions. What is it that needs to be uprooted? So let me ask you in conclusion, what of these three barriers has caused you to stop growing? Is it a closed mind where you're afraid of God? Is it a superficial commitment where you get full of joy, you love going to church, but you don't tend, intend to do anything about it throughout the week? Or maybe it's an overcrowded life, an overcrowded life. If we did a spiritual CAT scan on you today, an MRI, what does the test reveal about your life? Is Jesus and his purposes first and foremost? Are his principles what are guiding you? Are the people who are in so dire need of Jesus a cause and a concern for you? Are you engaged in the programs that God has brought to you and to your children and to your youth? Are you investing in them? Is your property being spent? And by property, we're talking about facilities and finances. Are you using your facilities and your finances 
Facilities meaning anything that you use to get by in life. Finances meaning anything that God has poured into your life of a monetary nature. Are you using it in order to grow and help others grow spiritually? So we gather, we group, as a result we grow, and then we are set free to be givers, set free to be generous in our life and lifestyle, to not only be self-concerned, but concerned for others, and then we go. It's a beautiful life, it's a meaningful life. The dots get connected, we are set free. Jesus isn't just someone who saves us for heaven, he saves us for earth. He causes us to live purposeful, functional, generous lives. And we are blessed of spirit because of it. So we're gonna go to him through communion. We're gonna express our appreciation to him. So would you just take the elements that you receive coming in? Would you just take them in your hands? And if you haven't received communion elements, we've got ushers that are ready to, to pass them out. Just raise your hand high and we'll make sure that you get the elements for communion. Communion is for people who would say, I believe in this Jesus. I know that Jesus is the answer. And I know that he's the gift from God for what ails me as a human being. I know that Jesus brings tremendous meaning and order and priorities. And all that's needed for a fulfilled life, Jesus does this for you and me. If that's your understanding of who Jesus is, then you ought to be taking communion with the rest of us. This is a celebration. We're coming around the proverbial table, the metaphorical table called the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul said, for I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. So we're following the leading of our Lord Jesus, who set before his disciples just prior to his death two symbols of what he was doing by going to the cross. The bread represents him surrendering his physical body, willing to literally endure the pain, the suffering, and ultimately the death that was rendered on the cross. And then the blood 
is, is the symbol of our juice that we're about to take is the blood. And that blood is symbolic of, of the very life of Jesus flooding over us, forgiving us of all of our sins, cleansing us of all of our unrighteousness. But all, not only that, leaving the residue of Jesus in our person so that we can be righteous. It's not just a one-time slate clean thing. There's an empowerment that happens as we in faith look to Jesus, his blood literally represents the righteousness and the functionality that is ours as human beings. So what I want you to do is take the little wafer. Take the little wafer if you would. I want you to just take a moment and be thankful. Just take a moment and thank Jesus for being willing to surrender his body for yours and my salvation. Would you do that? And then when you're ready, go ahead and consume, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your commitment to us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'd like you to take this little cup of juice. And would you thank Jesus for the measure of righteousness that's in your life? I mean, listen, we're all growing. We all make mistakes, we do, every one of us. Hurt people hurt people. Sin manifests in our life even after we've given our life to Christ. But there's a reason why Jesus told us to come back to the table regularly. There's a reason he wants us to remember him through drinking what is symbolic of his shed blood. Because he wants to remind you that you are not your sin, you are not those choices. You are not what you did this past week. You are actually in him. You are covered by the blood of Christ. And over time, the power of the blood makes its way into your life. He develops sensitivities and he empowers you to right choices. This is what the blood does. But it's okay, you're covered. If you've made mistakes, just look to Jesus and say, I made some mistakes this week. I'm so sorry. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross. I receive fresh and anew the, the, the very covering of your blood in my life. And you can't say that you don't deserve it because then you're going to a place that really you're not meant to go to. You're going into your own person and that's not where you're meant to go. You're meant to go to Jesus. He is your provision. He is your salvation. He is your hope for righteousness. So I want you to take this and just take a moment, give thanks, and then when you're ready, drink it. Praise you. Praise you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. It's only appropriate that we at this time, we worship the very Lord that we're celebrating through communion. So I want you to stand with me and Pastor Darius and the team are gonna lead us. And then I'll come back and just bring conclusion to the service. God bless you as you continue to worship.